Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of our scripture. Dan is coming to read us uh, our scripture this morning, Come, uh, taken out of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. You can follow along in your own pew Bibles there in front of you, uh, found on page 658, or you can follow along in your own Bibles as well. Again, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. Do not worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life. And now, God, hide me behind your cross that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There are a lot of things that people can say about us. In fact, there are a lot of things that people have said about us broadbents. But the one thing, the one thing that they can't say about us broadbents is that we are lazy. That, that's a legacy that has been passed down from generation to generation among the broadbands. We are, uh, I, I, we've, we've, we've raised our kids, and I've told them multiple times, there are lots of things. There are lots of things that people are going to do better than us. We are not the smartest people in the world, us broadbands. We're not the best-looking people in the world, us broadbands. Uh, we're not the most successful people in the world, us broadbands. But no one is going to outwork us. No one is going to outwork us. And so I have, pr- I have prided myself on my, on my strong work ethic, always. A story is told that uh, my grandparents swapped farms, actually traded a guy farms in 1932. Well, you know what was going on in, in Oklahoma, especially far western Oklahoma in 1932. It was the very beginning of, of the terrible, terrible days of the Dust Bowl. This was not a time to be, to be swapping farms with a guy. In fact, they swapped farms with a guy because, um, well, they only had a, a 160 acres and he had 640 acres. Now, his farm was not paid off, but their farm was. But they went ahead and swapped farms with him. So they took over three times as many acres and they had a, they had a land payment, again, right in the very, right in the very depth of the, of, of the Dust Bowl and right in the, very, right in the very depth of the Depression as well. And the story uh, around our family was that people around town 
uh, were, they were saying, well, Russell Broadbent, my granddad, Russell Broadbent, he'll never, he'll never be able to take care of that farm. He'll never be able to hold on to that farm. But then people would comment, oh, but you don't know Florence Broadbent, do you? <laughs> that was my grandmother. Florence Broadbent was one of the hardest working women I've ever known in my life. At, at the age of 90, uh, she didn't have a weed eater. No, she went out and pulled weeds around her house at the age of 90. She was a hard working woman. And so I have always prided myself on, on working hard. And, and in fact, in fact, not only working hard, but always, always being busy. So over the years, when people ask me, so how are you doing? Oh, I'm busy as can be. Uh, well, I, I, maybe that's more of a confession today. <laughs> thinking about our sermon series and thinking about what we're, what we're speaking of today, I think it probably is more of a confession that oftentimes I am so very, very busy and working so hard that oftentimes I don't have time for relationships. I don't have time for the things that, that we have been talking about over the last couple of weeks. When someone says, when someone responds to the question, how are you, and they say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just busy, what, what they're saying, what they're saying is, that, is that I don't have time to get to know you because the tasks that are before me are more important than you. That's oftentimes, at least what uh, oftentimes the, the vibe that I put off anyway, when, when, when we respond with we are so very busy, I am so busy, we, we are often really saying the tasks that I am performing are, very, are way more important than you are. Today we're continuing this sermon series dealing with the art of being a neighbor, what it means to be a neighbor uh, and, and to take very seriously Jesus' words to, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Again, the, the whole thought behind this series is that a, a man came to Jesus and asked, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is just like it. And I think he was saying it's just as important to love your neighbors as yourself. And for most Christians, we, 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 we stress the, the importance and, and the priority of the, of the first commandment, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And indeed, it begins there. And so in the life of the church, we are involved in prayer. We are involved in, in study of scripture. We're involved in small groups. We are involved in loving God. But likewise... Oftentimes, we, we miss the second point. Now, indeed, we are involved in all kinds of missional outreach here at First Church. We have our Friday Night Live congregation. We have all kinds of missions events that we have. But oftentimes, we miss our literal neighbors. Oftentimes, we miss our neighbors. And what, what if Jesus really was being literal when he said, love your neighbors as yourself, love those who, who live among you and closest to you and are among you and closest to you first, just like you love yourself. You know, a lot of times, whenever, whenever we have related that scripture to our own lives, we've made it so generic. Well, you know, we've just got to love everyone. And, that's, and indeed, that's, that's true. And indeed, that's true. But I think if we really begin to start with those who are closest to us, those in our own family, our co-workers, literally our neighbors on our block. 
And so the first sermon in this series, I, I ask you to write down the names of your eight closest neighbors, those people who live closest to you, and then begin to write something about them, what you know about them, and then begin to dive a little bit deeper, intimate things that you may know about them, struggles that they're having in your lives. And what we found is that only about 30% of Americans could name at uh, all eight of their closest neighbors, but only 5% could name something about them other than their names, and only 1% of Americans can tell something intimate about all eight of their neighbors, meaning things that they're all dealing with. And I believe that if we're truly going to love our neighbors as ourselves, it, I think Jesus really, I mean, I think he meant what he said. We must know those who live among us. We must begin to, uh, to, to make connections with those who are closest to us. And so we've been, we've been examining what it means to be a, to be a neighbor. And, and, especially, and especially this series, we have, um, I, I, I do want to apologize just a little bit because this kind of is an inward-looking series. Oftentimes, whenever I preach, it's, it's for... It's, it's not only for you all, but I'm, but I'm especially thinking for those who aren't here. I'm really preaching to them. Uh, but really, our, this, this series is, is really kind of a, um, I mean, it kind of is a private family conversation just a little bit. I may have said some things that um, were, were challenging to the, to the people of First Church, and I, I want to continue to do that today. And so I especially, uh, I, I mean, one of the thoughts going into this sermon, or one one of the thoughts going into this series, is this: that uh, at First Church we have been on a on a slow and steady and progressive decline for the last twenty plus years, and if we are going to ever begin to expand and reach out to other people, it's not going to be because people are coming to listen to a good preacher. It's not because we're going to have a, a a famous associate pastor. It's not because we're going to have some program that's going to wow people. It, people are going to come for two reasons. One, they've, well, really, primarily one reason. They, are, they have heard that something special is going on in the life of this church. And the way that they are going to hear about it is through you. It's through you. Almost everyone who attends church for the first time come to that church because a friend already goes there. And so if we are going to expand as a church, if we are going to grow larger, if we are going, if, if the prayer that we have been praying that God would send us more people, if that's going to be accomplished, it's going to, it's going to take you and me participating. Meaning that we are, I think it, it is our absolute responsibility to befriend those who have no church home, to befriend those who are spiritually lost, to befriend those who have no hope in their life. It is our obligation. It is our sacred duty so that they can come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so again, so again, many of us have, I mean, again, we, we like this idea of loving our neighbor, but we have, we have lots of problems with it. And one of those problems is that we are just simply too dadgum busy. We're just too busy. We say that, 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 we are, that we are too busy. We say that we simply don't have enough, enough time. Years ago, years ago in, in Great Britain, they were, uh, they were having some problems with their, with their bus system, their, um, their, their bus system that traveled all around, uh, especially all around London, and they, they couldn't figure out why their ridership 
was so low. They had, they had been emphasizing the, the importance of riding the bus, and they had also been in emphasizing the importance to their bus drivers of keeping a, a, a schedule. They believed that if they, could, if they could keep their bus drivers on the right schedule, they would have more people riding the bus. So so that people would show up to the bus stop and they would know exactly when the bus would come and stop at that bus stop. But after they, a, a lengthy investigation, after looking at this problem of low ridership, what they found was that there were buses that were empty all over London that were driving through the streets of London. And they began to study why in the world that was happening. What they found was that their bus drivers were driving by bus stops that were full of people waiting to get on the bus but the driver was, 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 was driving on by in order to keep their schedule. <laughs> so, so you see, they, they had a task in mind. They, they, they knew what they needed to be going about and, and keeping their schedule, and they were just so very busy, but because they were so very busy, they missed out on the thing that was the most important and really the reason for their existence, and that was picking up people on a bus and driving them somewhere. And I fear that as Christians, we've done the exact same thing. That we have been so intent on keeping a schedule and keeping busy, not only in our lives, but also in the life of the church, that we have missed out on the very reason for our existence. John Ortberg says in The Life You've Always Wanted, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is the one thing hurried people don't have. It's a passage of scripture that Dan read for us today. is a passage that I have preached on multiple times. I've, I've been around long enough. I have led more than one finance campaign with this passage of scripture at the very heart of what I was talking about. I have always, always approached this passage of scripture thinking that it was dealing with money, thinking that it was always dealing with money. But I think, I think not only is it dealing with money, but I also think it is dealing with our time and our energy and all of our resources. Did you, did you, did you hear some of those words? Do not be anxious about your life. Don't worry about the things that you're going to wear or the kind of, or, or, or the kind of food that you're, going, that you're going to eat. Those things aren't important at all. Those are, those are peripheral things. There are things that are way more important in your life. And that is first, what did he say? Seek, seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. First, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things are going to be added to you. So what's the kingdom of God about? You remember what Jesus said? Love God and love your neighbor. So seek first loving God and loving your neighbor. And then all these other things are going to be added to you as well. If we're truly going to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we are truly going to know what it means to be a good neighbor, we have to commit with our time, with our energy, with our resources to loving our neighbor, to getting to know our neighbor. Well, we don't have time. We don't have time, we say. It was a classic little book written in 1967 called The Tyranny of the Urgent. 
and in the, the, the premise of that book is that there are things that are, that are important and things that are urgent. And the premise of that book is that oftentimes we find ourselves doing the urgent things rather than the important things. And so he says in this book, your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important things. And for, so for us here today, the, the, the danger in us is, is, allowing, is allowing what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear and the peripheral things of life crowding out the things that are important. And no doubt there are lots of peripheral things in our life. For some of us, indeed, it may, it may literally be the clothes that we wear. Others of us may indeed be the, the, the kinds of food that we eat, but there are so many other things. There are so many other things. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, anyone? Netflix, Hulu, Pinterest, anyone? You see, I, I, I'm, I think back 20 years ago. Whenever, 25 years ago, especially in the, with the advent of the internet, it was supposed to save us all, all so much time and so much energy. We would have instant access to all kinds of, of information, and it was supposed to, to, to save us so much time so that it would free us up so that we could spend time on relationships, spend time on things that are most important to us. But instead, what, what is that great gift done to us. It has distracted us. It's become a peripheral thing. It's become like the, the clothes and the, and the food and the, and the other things that Jesus said, those Gentiles run after such things. But indeed, we are called to seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first loving God and loving our neighbor. So there are a number of things. A number of things, and these are not going to be earth-shattering things, I'll tell you before, but these are things that I would encourage you to think about. If we're going to be a church that is reaching the lost, if we're going to be people who are, by the way, I don't think you live in the house you live in by accident. I don't think it was an accident that God put you there among those people in your neighborhood. I don't think you work in your place of business by accident. I think there's a reason that God put those people around you. I don't think it was an accident that God put you in the family that you have. God put you in that family for a reason. And so just some practical steps, things that I would encourage you to think about over the next week. First, first, I would encourage you to start having meals with others. I know that sounds really simple and a little bit silly as well, but uh, what I have found is that there is something very special that happens when we eat with other people. My previous church, we had a Sunday school class that had, they had really shrunk, um, I mean, to about 10 before they had had they had, had a pretty a pretty nice sized class a, a class of fifteen or twenty it was a real healthy sized class and they had shrunk to a class of twenty or a, a class of ten people and they didn't know they didn't exactly know what to do uh, whether uh, they had a new couple that joined their class Jim and Jim and Lois Hebert Jim Hebert was a trainer for the Dale Carnegie Institute if you know anything about the Dale Carnegie uh, the Dale Carnegie Institute he was a he was, a, he was an absolute uh, people person, absolute people person. And so he challenged his Sunday school class, his new Sunday, his new Sunday school class. He and his wife had only been there for about a year. He challenged their class that he said, we want, I want us to have 
45 people on the, in the membership of our class. <laughs> 45, 45 people, this was in a church that had been in significant decline over the past 15 years. This was in a Sunday school class that had gone from about uh, 20 people uh, to 10 people in the previous three or four years. Exact, how in the world were they going to do that? Well, eat, going to eat out with people was one of the ways that Jim Hebert did it. If there was someone new in that church, Jim and Lois, and he would always grab one or two other couples from that church. If there was someone new in that church, whenever they'd come, you know, maybe two or three times in the life of the church, Jim noticed them, and he would invite them out to go uh, eat after, uh, after, after worship. And it was an amazing gift in the life of that church. And it was just two years later that they topped 45 people in the life of that church. In fact, they surpassed 50 members in the life of that, of that Sunday school class. There's something powerful when we spend our time with conversing around, around a supper table. It's, it's, again, it's something very practical, something very easy to do. Please, please begin to, begin to look around how, how, you can, how you can commune with others when, and you can fellowship around, around a meal. The second thing, second very practical way I would encourage you is to take walks around your neighborhood. How many of you have gym membership? I'm not going to ask you that. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. Maybe you have a gym membership. And it may be, it may be that it may be days or weeks or um, like it was for us just a bit, maybe even a month or so between times of, uh, of, uh, of uh, visiting that gym. Uh, it may be, it may be that God is calling you to simply take a walk around your neighborhood. We have an older couple in our neighborhood they take a walk around our neighborhood, and they wave at every single car that comes by. I'm such a bad neighbor, I've never, I've never introduced myself to them, but I promise you, whenever I, I mean, it, it's something that I've been thinking about recently, about, about taking a walk around your neighborhood and getting to know, again, I don't think it's an, it's an accident that you live where you live. God has put you in the midst of those people. Just like we believe that this church is a light into this area, so I believe that God has put each one of us in our own neighborhoods for us to be a light into our neighborhood. Again, dear friends, there is a sick and dying world. There are people slipping into eternity moment by moment by moment. You have neighbors slipping into eternity and not knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's our duty. It's a great opportunity to share the love of God in our neighborhood. And the final real practical thing Start spending time in your front yard. How many of us come home, we punch the garage door button, we pull into the garage, we put the garage door down, and we never come back outside, at least on our front porch? You know, it used to be, uh, now, now I'm not trying to say the good old days were better by any means, but it used to be that, that houses were built with a large front porch. Now, houses are, are built with large back patios, with six-foot privacy fences, and again, automatic garage doors. So you may or may not wave at that neighbor when you pull into your garage and never come back out. Our first neighbors 
in Enid in our previous in our previous uh, church. Uh, they were amazing neighbors. I I grew up on a farm. Again, I, our nearest neighbor was over a mile away, and so when we came home, it was really a time where you, we literally were secluded. The first time we lived in town when we were married, uh, I was in seminary, and I, I came home, and I'd go back in the backyard and mow my yard, and our neighbor was always out there wanting to talk across the fence to me, and it drove me crazy. I came home to be alone. I thought, especially in my backyard, she drove me crazy. But I recognized later on that she was just simply trying to be a good neighbor. Our first neighbors in Enid were amazing neighbors. And I've been thinking about Kenny and Sherry Blazier over the last couple of weeks. Kenny and Sherry were amazing, amazing neighbors. One of the things that set them apart from any other neighbor that we've ever had, they spent all kinds of time in their front yard. They were always in their front yard. Now, part of it had to do with Kenny and his obsessiveness about his lawn. He, he mowed his lawn uh, with, a, with a greens mower, you know, that you'll find at a golf course. Uh, you could putt across that, across his front lawn. But he was out, and, and by the way, he didn't wear shoes either when he mowed. He, wore, he, was, only, he was in barefoot uh, when he mowed. But he was, they were always, always in their front yard. And their house became a, a, a gathering place for all of our neighborhood. I, I met all the rest of our neighbors. All the rest of our neighbors that I met in Enid came through Kitty and Sherry. Because they were always at Kitty and Sherry's house. Their house just simply became a gathering place. And Kitty and Sherry were amazingly faithful Christians. And there were others on our cul-de-sac that didn't know Christ at all. And even as the pastor, I wasn't very good at being the light of the world to them. When I came home, I was tired. I wanted to put my feet up. But Kenny and Sherry Blazier were able to share the message of Jesus because they were good neighbors. Simply this, they spent a lot of time in their front yard and people flocked to their house. People loved to be around Kenny and Sherry because there was something different about them. They had the light of Christ in them. And you see, I, again, I believe that God has put us in the neighborhoods that we live in. God has put us in the places of business that we work at. God has put us in our families because he has called us to be the light of the world in those places. <laughs> Too busy. I've used that excuse so many times. So many times. What I found in Jesus' life, he was never too busy. Even when he was quickly on his way to one place or another, if there was someone who needed the light of God spoken into their lives, brought into their lives, he was always there. Always. So dear First Church, if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, we must do everything we can at all times and in all places to be the light of the world, where we live, where we work, and in our families. Would you bow with me? Oh God, we thank you for your amazing grace and love. You indeed have, have changed our lives. Our lives are different because we've come to know you. There is a lost and sick and dying world that needs your message of love and forgiveness and hope and freedom. This coming week, O oh Lord, 
Help us to think about what it would look like in our own lives for us to begin to have meals with others. For us to begin to take walks in our neighborhood so that we can begin to get to know our neighbors. For us to spend time working in our front yard instead of, instead of secluded away in our backyard. Oh God, help us to do all that we can in all times and in all places to seek first your kingdom by loving our neighbors. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.